Well, as we dig in today, I want to talk to you about the importance of healthy rhythms. And really, I want to talk about the subtext of that is why most of our resolutions don't work. And uh, if you look at life, life, whether it's a beating heart or brain activity, sound waves, um, we can see that life moves by rhythms. Whether it's an EKG, again, whether it is looking at the heart or a brain or a sound wave in a computer, if you can look at all the speaking in my voice now, uh, you can see that it's up and it's down. There's highs, there's lows, there's middles, that, that life has rhythms, that if your life has no rhythm, you have no life. If we look on a monitor and there is no heart rhythm, that is a problem. If there's no brain activity, there's no rhythm to it, that again is problematic. And so my life and your life, every single life has highs and lows and kind of just meh, ordinary times, but they all play an important part. And so whether it's biological or experimental, life can be looked at through the lens of rhythms. But if you were a cardiologist or if you are a cardiologist, um, then you don't simply see rhythms. I may look at a monitor and just look and see a heart rate, but you don't look and see a heart rate. You, you are trained to see not just what is, but understanding what it is that you're looking at. Through practices and training, you can learn to read and correctly interpret what it is that you're seeing, what, where I can't. I'll just hear beeps and see lines. You can see healthy or unhealthy. You can see um, abnormal or normal. You can see activity or distress. Again, because of who you are and your training, you don't just see what is you see behind what I what what is because it's what's true of life is this that every single one of us have rhythms but all of our rhythms follow rules and this is critical for my life and your life it's the same in song it's the same in story it's the same in sports poetry filmmaking even what you believe and why you believe what you believe so yes there is that we can see this is what I'm saying. This is what my behavior does. This is how I'm engaging you or not engaging you. This is what it looks like. Those are all the rhythms that we can see. But there's a rule behind that rhythm. There's something deeper that is driving those things in all of our hearts, in all of our lives. And so whether you're here or whether you're at home, if you're at home, you can just put your hands up in the chat here. If you're here in the house, I'd love for you in the church, I'd love for you just to raise your hand. But here's a question. Do you believe, if, you, if the answer is yes, raise your hand. Do you believe that all humans should have equal rights? Can I see your hands, please? If you believe the answer to that is yes. My question to you would be, why do you believe that? What's the basis of that belief? Well, because it's the right thing to say. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to believe. But why? What drives that? In other words, yes, I believe that. That's the rhythm. But what's the rule behind that? What drives that? What pushes towards that? Because when you and I grew up in school, if we are simply taught by Darwinian logic, then really it's, that has no basis in Darwinian understanding. But we as followers of Jesus, we believe that every single life is created in the image and likeness of God. That it is this holy Mago Day understanding. So there's a belief, even within a secular Canada, we still believe certain things, but where do those beliefs come from? Why do I believe that? Is that true? And can we even talk about this or we can talk about that? So again, human rights, they're a rhythm, but what's the rule behind it? What is that which is setting that to be what it is? The evidence of a rhythm is absolutely critical. 
looking at all the things of why we do what we do and say what we say and eat what we eat and watch what we watch and don't watch what we watch and watch eating this and eating that and exercising this and exercising that and doing this and doing that. And you could have had a week of reflection, a week of figuring out what you want 2022 to be. But I'm here to tell you today, if you don't let the Holy Spirit define the rule behind your rhythm, life can be problematic. Or transformation can be difficult. It can be elusive. And Jesus knew this about life. Jesus knew that oftentimes if you read the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, pick whatever book you want. If you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things you'll quickly discover is that he didn't answer the questions that he was often asked. And sometimes when he was asked questions, he just told stories and let people figure it out what he was saying. There are other instances where people would come up to him and Jesus, like a trained cardiologist, wouldn't speak to them about the rhythm, but he would speak to them about something deeper that is driving their heart that they may not even agreed with, that it may have been offended them. But Jesus was actually speaking to what was more true than their behavior. He was driving at their belief, like a ruler who came up who was rich and who was young, who everything in their life was based on their possessions, their titles, and who they were. And Jesus said, there's this one thing that you lack. I want you to go sell all those things, and then I want you to follow me. And this young ruler who was rich and influential and wealthy couldn't do it. Why? Not because his life was based just out here. Because again, Jesus touched the rule behind the rhythm. On another occasion, a woman was thrown at Jesus' feet. And if you know the story, Jesus says to the crowd gathered, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And yeah, he could have picked up a rock and threw it at her, fully justified under the law, but that's not who Jesus is. Once again, in this moment, when everybody says under the law that she is to be stoned and they were not incorrect, Jesus speaks to the rule that was deeper than the rhythm. The same was true when he meets a woman at a well. The same is true at the Last Supper when he speaks to Peter and Peter says, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, 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 that's who you believe you are. Let me tell you who you really are. You are one who will betray me this very night. Peter, this is who you think you are, but this is who you really are. What Jesus says to Peter is, I can see not just the rhythm, but I can see the rule that is driving your life. It's an important thing. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul gives the same treatment for you or I, walking according to the Spirit, or do we learn to live according to the flesh? Here's what he says. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, a lot of you are following Jesus. A lot of you listening today, you, how you follow Jesus is you white-knuckle it. You think it's through human willpower that you're just going to resist temptation on your own. And I'm here to tell you that if you want to resist temptation by yourself, it is going to be deeply problematic. Because the Bible says that, no, no, you, we don't walk according to the desires of the flesh by learning how to walk by the Spirit. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. They're in conflict. They're at war with one another. So that you do what you don't want. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they're obvious. They are sexual immorality and that's all sexual immorality. That's like a drunk drawer of sexual immorality. That's everything thrown in there. Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice, everyone whisper practice, 
online. You can type it in the chat. Practice the sewer sticking together. Those of you who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a saying that all of us know to be true, which is practice makes, practice makes perfect. In other words, the things that I practice again and again and again and again, I can do them in such a way that I don't even think about what I'm doing any longer. If I took you back 15 years ago and said that there'll be a time in your life where you will be scrolling social media or TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is for hours on end, you will have a cell phone in your hand and you'll just watch reel after reel, story after story, this after that. You would say, you're crazy, I'd never do that. Now you do it without even thinking. Repetition creates formation. Practice makes perfect. And so here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul is not saying here, if you're ever angry, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If there's any sexual immorality in your life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. No, it all needs to be repented of and dealt with. Absolutely, yes. But what he's saying is if you practice these things, then you will actually move against the way of the Spirit. You will so walk in a way that is contrary to God that it won't even be conceivable to you to to repent. It won't even be conceivable of you that there's a different way in which to live. Your mind will be seared. It'll be reprobate. You no longer discern right and wrong. This is just the way it is. This is what he's saying. But, everyone say but. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those of us who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That's what we just talked about a moment ago with its passions and its desires. And then he says this, if we want to live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul says in this little text here, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And the question is, how in the world do we do that? Like practically, boots on the ground, how do I live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit? If you ask a lot of Christians, you get a lot of different answers, and some of the answers are really, really strange. And sometimes it is strange to walk by the Spirit. I'm not going to discount that whatsoever. But the reality is it's not always strange. Before answering how we keep walking, live in step with the Spirit, I want us to look at some rules that define Canadians' beliefs, our rhythms. What do we believe as Canadians in 2019? I know it's not 2019, that's just COVID brain. I know it's not 2019, I know it's 2022. But the study that I'm going to quote only goes up to 2019. Statistics Canada released a report on religiosity in Canada, how it's changing from 1985 to 2019. And I want us to take a minute and just look at some of its findings. That you can look at the average Canadian's belief about religion within Canada that if I could take you back to 1985, and oh, those of you who were alive in 1985, what a time it was. But if I could take you back to 1985, 90% of Canadians are affiliated with a religious group. That would be whether it is a mosque, a synagogue, or a church. 90%, 9 out of 10 Canadians. If I could take you to 2019, it's down to 66% of Canadians are affiliated with a religious group. So that is a pretty sharp decline from 9 out of 10 to about 6.5 out of 10 Canadians. If I could take you back to 1985, you would find that 43%, they would attend a group religious activity at least once a month. So once again, they're going to church, they're going to mosque, they're going to synagogue, about 40 some percent, 1985. If you go to 2019, it's down to 23%. 23% attend a group religious activity at least once a month. But here's what's fascinating. If I talk to you, it took you just to 2003, not that long ago. For some of you, you're like, yeah, that's actually like a lifetime ago. I wasn't born then. Okay. But if I could take you to 2003, 71% of Canadians said that religious or spiritual beliefs were somewhat or very important. 
That's still in the 2000s. Now, fast forward to 2019. One out of every two Canadians still say, a little more than one out of two Canadians, 54%, say religious or spiritual beliefs are somewhat or very important in their life. That means that every second person at your office actually believes that religion is somewhat or very important in their life. Now, you would never know that reading any media reports whatsoever. You would think it's actually much lower than that. But it's not true. See, there's a rule. There's a rule that's defining the rhythm. How many know that we live in a pretty noisy time? I mean, share your opinion on anything. And if it's a definitive opinion, you will find you get some feedback on that opinion, on that belief. It's quite noisy. Even if it's just, here, here's the low bar. Here's just the low bar that we have as followers of Jesus. Just be kind to people. Even in, do you want to stand out in 2022? Just be kind to people you disagree with. Don't be don't be so combative with everybody who sees the world differently or an, or an issue in the world differently from you. Just be kind to others. Be respectful. Be civil in our dialogue and disagreements. Some of you are like, mm-hmm, but I'm still going to go on Facebook and post that later. Well, the Lord be with you and also with you. One out of two Canadians say religious or spiritual beliefs are somewhat or very important, but yet what we believe about evangelism, did you know that less than 2% of Christians, Canadian Christians today, share their faith? Why? Because we actually have been duped into believing that Canadians are not interested in this whatsoever, but 54% of them are. It's fascinating. 23% of Canadians reported participating in a group religious activity like worship service at least once a month, but 37% of Canadians, this is interesting, they said they engaged in religious or spiritual activities, but they just do it all by themselves. They don't do it with anybody else. And that is deeply unbiblical and problematic. Yes, there's parts of your life that you flesh out by yourself, but we are a body interconnected and we need one another. That we need one another to share God's word. Here's what I know about me. I live way too close to my own life, my own opinions and my own attitudes that sometimes I need people who love me to point out things that I can't see about me. Is the same true for you? It's not always nice when they point them out and they don't even point them out the way that sometimes I wish that they would, but it's the message that I need to hear. You and I will never become more like Christ if we do it entirely by ourselves. How could you say that so definitively? Because it's not the way Jesus modeled. It's not the way he led the disciples. And it's not the way you and I do it in 2022. So if we're looking at some of the data, here are some new rhythms or new rules that we can see defining Canadians' rhythms. Then we're going to dive back in. Rhythm number one. Canadians, we are shifting our beliefs from religious groups to political and social ideologies. Ideologies. That's how we are being formed and we are being shaped used to be religious groups and now it is political groups and social ideologies. These things are actually more religious than anything else. If you don't think secularism is a religion, it has a dogma and the way, it work, way at which it works and a way of being included or excluded. The second rhythm that we are seeing is we are shifting spiritual formation from happening in communities with one another to now we are being spiritually formed but we're doing it all by ourselves from an individualistic perspective. And this is fascinating, especially if you are new to Canada, if you are first generation or second generation to Canada. 
This is interesting. Read this. Listen to this. Recent generations were less likely than the generations that came before them to report a religious affiliation, to participate in group or individual religious activities, or place a high value on religious and spiritual beliefs and how they live. So Canadians are also being separated generationally. We, as younger generations, I wouldn't include myself in this. I'm 48 years old now. I'm somewhere in the middle. But we, as younger generations, are being separated from older generations. And this is problematic as well. The report found some differences, though. People born outside of Canada were more likely than those born in Canada to report a religious affiliation and participate in group religious activities. The fact their children are becoming less religious, however, is consistent with what other studies show, that immigrants are more religious in the first generation, but this wanes with each passing generation. And so here is what is true in Canada today regarding spiritual practices following Jesus within one generation. Canadian culture is more dominant shaper of identity, values, and practices than one's culture of origin. I'm not talking about engaging in a culture war. What I am saying is you and I must know that the culture that we live in is not neutral whatsoever. It's not neutral. It is formative. It is shaping on our hearts and lives. It wants to rewrite our rules because then it can actually define our rhythms. Most of us, again, just look at the rhythms and we don't pay attention to the, what's being changed at the rule side. So why do I share this today? Well, because as followers of Jesus, we all live by rules. Every single one of us. Why you do what you do. Why you say what you say. Why you believe what you believe. Why you engage the practices that you do. Why you engage or you, why you don't engage others. We all have things, values, rules that we live by that ultimately show up in our rhythms. And most, again, most of our resolutions, our goals, our desires, they are behavior-based. But if the rule isn't transformed, if the rule isn't replaced, transformation usually doesn't occur. So again, I ask the same question I've asked three times. I'll ask it one more time. How in the world do we walk by? Are we led by? And do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we actually do this? Most of us don't need any information on how do I gratify the things of the flesh. I do that without even thinking. I am an expert at it. Don't even think about it. I can gratify. How many of you being selfish is not hard for you to do? You just, it's not a difficult thing to do. It's not at all hard. It's, it, it, comes, it comes to you like it's just second nature because it's our fallen nature. It's the thing that we are supposed to crucify. But you and I, oftentimes, we don't believe what the word says. We don't want to crucify our flesh. We just want to like, sort of like behaviorally manage it over here. The problem is it's more powerful than we really think, ask, or even dream. So how do we walk again? How do, we, how do you lead by? How do we walk by? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, before I answer it directly, here are some of the ways that I have heard that I think are helpful but wrong or not necessarily wrong, but they're incomplete. Some people say, well, that you walk by the Spirit, you keep in step by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit. Here's how you do it. You, you possess a specific spiritual gift, and usually it's the spiritual gift that the person who's telling you has, and you don't. So you keep in step with the Spirit by, it could be, for example, well, you know what? If they have the spiritual gift of discernment, then for them, it's like you need the spiritual gift of discernment. 
If they have the spiritual gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, then for you, it's again, it's, well, you got to speak in tongues. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Now, I believe in spiritual gifts, all of them. And the spiritual gift is a God-given, unique capacity imparted to a believer for the purpose of releasing a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry from that believer. I believe in all of them. And I do believe that discernment, for example, is a really powerful spiritual gift. And yes, some of you have the spiritual gift of discernment, which means that you have an ability given by the Holy Spirit, given by God, to perceive issues in terms of spirits and spiritual truth and to know the fundamental source of the issues and to give judgment or to give wisdom or to give a word of correction concerning those issues. You have the spiritual gift of discernment. And it's amazing that you have that gift, that you know the rule behind something And that's incredible. And then there's the rest of us who don't have the spiritual gift of discernment at all. And so if living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and keeping step with the Spirit is defined exclusively by a particular spiritual gift, then that becomes deeply problematic because it goes against 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which says that we are a body and the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. In other words, I have a spiritual gift. You may have a different spiritual gift. The point isn't which one. It's that we exercise the one the Holy Spirit gives us. Another example, some of you have the gift of hospitality and some of you don't. And those of you who don't have the gifts of hospitality, you never have to tell us you don't have the spiritual gift of hospitality. We know right away. Some of you have the gift of spiritual hospitality. You make anybody in the world feel welcome instantly. Whether it's in conversation, they walk into your home and it's just like this peace, this shalom, and people feel somehow at home in your home. And then others of you do not have the spiritual gift of hospitality. You have the spiritual gift of unhospitality. (laughs) And some of you maybe want to sign up to be like a greeter at the front door. In Jesus' name, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Well, I want to get better at it. We don't want you anywhere near that door. Well, why? Because when people are actually approaching, you make them want to go the other way. Like if you're like a heart, heart like rule abider, like don't sign up to be a don't sign up to be a greeter whatsoever. Have you ever been at someone's house who didn't have the gift of hospitality? It's almost as though when you answer the doorbell, you open the door, and they may not say it, but everything from them is asking you the question: When are you going to leave? Is it just me who's been to that house? Okay. Or again, I'm a Pentecostal when this is what it means. I believe the gift of speaking in tongues is available to every single believer. I absolutely believe that. But I also know believers in my life who have never spoken in tongues whatsoever, but yet their life demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not for not desiring it. It's just God's never given them that gift of speaking in tongues. So again, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and living in the Spirit cannot just be regulated to a spiritual gift. Can't. It's bigger than that. It's larger than that. I've also heard people, some, some say, that keeping in step with the Spirit, if it's not a spiritual gift then really when you listen to the message that you're being received, it really comes down to just try harder. Just do better. If you want a fascinating study, do this this week. You can Google it and figure it out. I want you to look at the last words of Jesus. While on the cross, hint, it is finished. Now, here's your homework assignment. Go look at Buddha's last words and see if it's not an entirely different religion and spirit. 
See, most of us, when we think about Christianity, we often think about like trying harder and, and being more committed. And trying is important and being committed to something is actually really critical. But as a follower of Jesus, I can't tell you the number of people I've sat across from who looked me eyeball to eyeball and said, I just can't do it. I, 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 can't, I, just, I just can't do Christianity. And at that moment, it's like, finally, of course you can't do Christianity because Christianity isn't something you do. Christianity is something that Jesus did for you. And until you get that first, none of it makes sense. Until you understand that Christianity starts with you admitting there's nothing that you can do to change yourself until you actually get that the gospel is this gift of grace that you didn't earn through any of your behavior, any of your intellect, any of your wisdom, or how much money's in your bank account, you can't buy it, until we embrace that we are spiritually bankrupt, that Christianity is not spelt due, it's spelt done, it's finished. And from that finished work, it is a gift. And so that we work from what God gives us, not for what God can do for us. Until we get that, we don't get that. So Christianity, again, walking by the Spirit is not try harder. It is not just be more committed. And once again, commitment is critical. But if I listen to a lot of Christians, it's just you gotta pray more, you gotta read your Bible more, you gotta do this more, you gotta do that more, you gotta do this more. It's a whole lot of you do more. But here's the problem with that. If all it takes for you to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil is willpower, then why did Jesus have to come? Why did Jesus have to come? Why does the Holy Spirit have to infill us and cause us to live by a different spirit, walk according to a different spirit than the world in which we live? Galatians chapter five, verse one, which is the verse that come before the other verses I just read, says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Everyone say Christ has set us free. The gospel isn't that you set yourself free. It is for freedom, Jesus has set us free. Now, then Paul goes on to say, though, then is stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't walk according to the flesh. Don't become empowered by it. Don't become led by it. Don't become a slave to it. So how do we walk according to the Spirit? Well, I like what John Mark Comer says, and he says this. To win, we need access to a power that is beyond us. We access the power of the Spirit by engaging spiritual practices. The same thing the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, that those who practice these things, because practice makes, those who practice these things, walking according to the flesh, you'll do it without even thinking about it. The same is true about spiritual practices. Willpower is at its best when it does what it can. So I'm not discounting willpower, nor is John Mark Comer. I'm going to direct my body into spiritual practices. So the Spirit's power then can do what my willpower can't. It was overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when we live into spiritual practices, we position ourselves to live by a power that is beyond us, by a power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just spiritual gifts, but it includes spiritual gifts. It isn't merely just being committed, though it includes commitment. It isn't just trying, though it includes trying. It is positioning ourselves to engage specific spiritual practices that if we practice them again and again and again and again, which means you can get them right and wrong and you can learn and you can grow and you can work your way in them and sometimes you'll have success and sometimes you won't be doing great at it. Why? Because life looks like this. It has rhythms, it has mountains and it has valleys. But when you and I begin to engage spiritual practices, 
that they have the power, not because of themselves, but because of the power of the Spirit to help us walk by, be led by, and to live in the Spirit. Why do you think the enemy robs you of your devotional time every single day? Because the devotions are powerful in and of themselves? No. Because your devotions position you to be transformed by a power that is greater than you. They put you in proximity to the presence of God in a way that is different. Some of you are really frustrated because there's people in your life that you can't change. No matter, and, and you've tried, and you know, believe me, you've tried everything. But I promise you in 2022, if you will stop trying to change them and you will talk to God to make them more like Jesus, what you may find is they may not change or they may. That's out of your control. But what you'll find is your own heart will begin to change towards them. You see, rhythms need rules. Principalities fear spiritual practices. Demons dread spiritual disciplines. Canada will not be changed by prayerless, wordless, gutless Christians who are afraid of everything except having and walking in the fear of the Lord. Who are scared to offend anyone. But the gospel that we preach is offensive because it's designed to separate us from that which brings death and that which only brings life. Four questions as we close. Question number one. This is, these are from Rich Villadas. At the outset of 2022... What are the spiritual disciplines you need to anchor you in a life with God? What spiritual disciplines do you need in your life? What are the practices of self-care that you need to steward your body and your soul? Some of you got to stop being so hard on yourself. Let the world, the world's already hard enough without you beating yourself up every single day needlessly. I'm not saying don't, be, don't you know, ignore the sin in your life. I'm not saying that. But I am just saying, you tearing yourself down every single day is not helping anyone, namely you. Here's a great question. What core relationships do you need in this season of your life? If you're in your 20s, here's what I want to tell you. If you don't have somebody who is at least, at least over 45 and in their 50s walking alongside of you, you lack wisdom. They may not see the world the way that you see the world. But you know what? You don't need them to see the world the way you see the world. You need them to see the world the way they see the world. And you can actually grow and help one another become more like Jesus. What core relationships do you need in this season of life? And then what are the spiritual gifts, abilities, and skills that God wants to use in and through you to bless others? Canada is changing. There's no denying that. But here's the beautiful thing. If Canada is changing, then church, Canada can change. If Canada is changing, then Canada can change. So some of you, even as I say that right now, we got to get it in our hearts that Jesus can transform this nation. Oh no, Canada's too far gone. Yeah, well, so were you and Jesus transformed you. So why can we not believe for every single Canadian the same way that God transformed my heart? 
you get up every single day and say, well, it's hopeless, then hey, that's your rule and it's gonna show up in your rhythm. But if you get up every single day and say, well, God worked a miracle in me, why can't he work a miracle in my boss? Why can't he work a miracle in my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my grandmother or my aunt, my uncle, my coworker? Why can't he? Because he's the same God for me as he is for them. Ah, there's rules that are showing up in our rhythms. And God doesn't just want to touch our rhythms. He wants to transform our rules because some of them don't align to his word. Over the next month, we're going to look at eight spiritual practices together. Eight spiritual disciplines, eight rules that can actually set us up to live with different rhythms. And we're going to start with fasting. Yay! Yes! Favorite spiritual discipline. Nothing will crucify your flesh more than fasting. Some of you, God's going to ask you to give up social media. And you're going to feel like, welcome the shakes. We're going to start with fasting and we're going to start with prayer. So between today and next Sunday, here's the one thing I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this. For the next 21 days, what do you want me to fast? Ask the Lord, what do you want me to fast? Oh, I I believe the Lord is asking me to fast work. Mm, No. I believe the Lord's asking me to fast uh, loving others. No. slash 21 days. There's a ton of fasting basics. Uh, anything that involves fasting, um, consult your doctor before you do anything rash, right? But ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to give up? 